the subject of the talk this evening is on the means of knowledge. The different ways and means by which we come to knowledge. There is the ordinary means and by ordinary means of gaining knowledge we have ordinary knowledge and then we gain another type of knowledge by other means and in this talk this evening I want to look primarily at these two uh, types of knowledge which can be gained ordinary knowledge and higher knowledge we deal with the question first of ordinary knowledge ordinary knowledge is gained in one way by seeing the world in a particular way a person looks out at the world and knows and sees particular objects some of these objects appear particularly attractive that person knows that, sees that and has the means to acquire that particular object he knows how to go about and get it or she knows people acquire knowledge which they use in order to gain things education and its emphasis is primarily in this direction and it has brought with it greater and greater specialization in particular areas in order to concentrate on particular things one has a specialized knowledge but that, that specialized knowledge can often and easily be a distraction to having a much wider knowledge all of this knowledge that we acquire through the course of our life about the world that we live in we can refer to as objective knowledge this is a tree, this is a house, this is a book, this is a pen and one who is defined as a 
materialist in the way that we are speaking of it this evening is one who sees and believes the world of objects to be the only reality and therefore the highest happiness which can be gained is in relationship or in ownership of those particular objects. The highest happiness is empirical sense pleasures. The instrument with regard to ordinary knowledge which we use, or the instruments, are first our senses and the uh, mind and especially the intellectual thinking mind. The senses make contact with the sense object and we recognize, we know this thing to be what this is, we know what that is to be what that is. And we use our thinking mind in relationship to those objects, to the world around us. And we rather too easily rely upon our senses and what we see as being the reality, this ordinary perceptional way of seeing. And in the ordinary consciousness, ordinary mind, this is all it can know. But even at the relative level, in terms of ordinary knowledge, we see that our senses deceive and mislead us. We say, the stars are shining brightly. As if the stars themselves were shining. They had their own light. We say, the sun is going down. As though the sun is actually going down. In fact, the earth is revolving around the sun. We look and say, the world is flat. I can see it is flat. I can see the plane. But we find out, no, it is not so. The world is round. In other words, just because we see a thing, it doesn't make it true. I may be walking in the evening and I am utterly convinced that what I see there is a snake. And I look and it is for me a snake and I go back to the house and I say, I saw this long snake. It was six feet long. And one is utterly convinced this is what I saw. It was my direct experience. The next day, one is walking with a bit of rope, six feet long. In other words, one cannot rely wholly and completely upon what one sees as being a valid, true source of knowledge.
because as in the examples which were just pointed out one gains another level of knowledge which dismisses that particular level of knowledge the knowledge of the sense experiences coming from the sense experiences one way which we gain knowledge but it's ordinary <coughs> conventional knowledge we are using <clears throat> and then we gain some knowledge of something by drawing conclusions or by um, using our reasoning faculties and Though we cannot see something, we can use particular instruments or devices, analyze something, and show that what we actually see is not really what it is. It's composed of something else. It's made up of something else. And we use the intellectual faculty, we use mathematics, we use scientific means to look at things in a particularly or in a different way. In all of this activity, there is, with regard to oneself, one factor which is common. And that is, there is ignorance there, and one gains knowledge to help displace the ignorance. I don't know something, therefore, I, which means I am ignorant. And I do something, or engage in some action, some study, some course of action to gain knowledge, to get rid of my ignorance. But in all of that activity, I never eliminate all of my ignorance. I can acquire, I can gain so much knowledge, I can memorize book after book after book do this, that and the other, but still my ignorance is not completely dispelled. There are many, many things which I don't know. <coughs> All of that falls into the field of ordinary knowledge. Looking upon the uh, the world as an end in itself, employing means to gain as much knowledge as possible in order to get the most out of the world. And this is the way primarily that knowledge is utilized. Certainly this objective knowledge, factual knowledge about the world and the concepts which we implore, employ are no barrier to having a higher knowledge. And in this talk I want to look at a little bit more 
carefully, a little bit more deeply, about ways and means which we gain a higher level of knowledge. And in this, when one is saying one is, uh, one gains higher level of knowledge, in actual fact there are different levels of higher knowledge. Consummating in the highest knowledge, and in the highest knowledge alone, all ignorance, all ignorance is eradicated once and for all. In terms of our objective knowledge, in terms of the varying levels of knowledge, not all of ignorance can cease. It can only cease with the highest knowledge. What are the other, some of the other areas of higher knowledge in the middle? Higher knowledge comes when the ordinary consciousness undergoes some change. Undergoing some change, it can be receptive to a higher type of knowledge, a more developed type of knowledge. We take a, a simple level of higher knowledge. Gained already by many people here, many people of the counterculture, a higher knowledge gained by drugs. It may be just ordinary marijuana, it may be acid or some, some other psychedelic. In that actual experience, Consciousness undergoes some change which is different from this and one sees and perceives the world that one knows and oneself in a different way. And one gets a taste or a sense that this ordinary everyday consciousness which I seem to abide in is not the only consciousness. It's not that it's a trivial consciousness, it's not that it's an inferior consciousness, but it is one level of consciousness. And there are other levels of consciousness which alter the vision of what is. The ordinary, ordinary consciousness, ordinary thinking, ordinary mundane conditioning, if you say to this person, what one thing would you really, really like? What one thing do you really, really want? And you can have it. What is the materialist going to think? What is that person going to say? Either it may be a house, or a beautiful woman, or a beautiful man, or a farm, or car, or some hi-fi set, or something. The mind, through its conditioning, through the ordinary conditioning, will, the moment it is offered what is something you would really like, 
it will go directly towards something in terms of the material plane because it's all it knows or it might even go to something more like I would like to always be young I would like always to be get what I want or always to be healthy it is thinking on the ordinary level and in what has come to be called altered state of consciousness in that time and possibly the effect of it afterwards also can be one in which one sees the material plane as being rather more gross rather more inferior and one moves out of it but one moves into another state of consciousness which like the previous one is temporary a temporary state of consciousness another person but still with regard to that state of consciousness and with regard to another one knows a little bit more about life one knows a little bit more about the world and one's value system in any altered state can change one can start giving different values or altering one's values <coughs> upon things then there are altered states of consciousness sometimes a person has an experience which they find difficulty or find some awkwardness in trying to express or convey to another and they may speak of it as being at one with God or as um, experiencing um, cosmic consciousness or being with the one mind and this, that, that experience takes place in this particular framework of time and everything seems so completely different arising in time and passing out in time but what happens is even though a person by chemical means by means of plants by, by experiences and in a minute I will speak about meditation experiences by meditation experiences may experience or see or have a different way of seeing feeling happy feeling high feeling blissed out feeling oneness, feeling unity, feeling love or whatever may have it in a, in a very beautiful, rarefied form, sublime form but however one still finds oneself returning to ordinary everyday habit and so there is this rise or as it were going up feeling to be higher feeling to be getting above things which is one might say what is taking place 
rising above the situation. Consciousness coming out, coming out. Bang, crash. Bang. It seems at times that one goes up some ladders of the steps, one goes, ah, bang, crash. And one is back trapped in the bog, in the mud, stuck, one is in difficulty. Why? Why can't one maintain those peak points of development or of highness or whatever? What is it that keeps falling or bringing one back down? The reason is that one has still unresolved, has still not cut through those things which tie one down. One has, so to speak, an obligation to deal with what needs to be dealt with. To look into, to see into those tendencies of the mind which pull back. when they are strong, when they are specific things which one recognizes keeps dragging one down. Some people, however, though having some particular tendencies, they are not especially obstructive. And one can develop and grow higher. Now, in terms of uh, meditation, in terms of how in the teachings of the Buddha, the Buddha has categorized particular meditational experiences. There are, to speak of, eight definite areas. And one of them, or each one of them, is a refinement or a continuation of the next one. And they are reached or arrived at by means of meditation which is one-pointed and which the motivation or the direction of the mind is towards deep self-absorption. It would just give to you the characteristics of the first one or two of these absorptions and then just briefly, very, very briefly, And these are meditational experiences which can come and do come by means of practice or can come, in rare cases, spontaneously. No applied initial effort being made. <coughs> the first one is that in that actual meditation experience, it's called 
uh, it's an absorption one is absorbed still in the Pali word for this is jhana in that absorption there is the direct experiencing with oneself of joy a joy of being the body itself is light, buoyant, happy and the mind itself is in a similar condition and one is harmonious with the body and mind and because of that harmony there, harmony there there is a joy, a blissfulness which is there also in that absorption there there is taking place some thinking of act, mental activity not so much that it actually disturbs the joy of that being but it is there and it is a very positive useful meaningful type of thought process this work and it is called first jhana or first absorption it is not unusual that people who are doing uh, meditation retreats do experience for a short time or for a longer time this particular jhana or absorption the second one is similar to the first except the joy is just contained in the mind thinking processes have ceased body rapture or delight or buoyancy has ceased and it's a more refined pure joy which is called the second jhana or second absorption and then there is the third one which is total peace fourth one and so forth and then again there are the other four there are eight altogether deal with experiences which are in the infinite sense a sense of infinite space body consciousness is that infinite sense of consciousness as though one is living in a great cosmos of consciousness these levels of meditational experience do give one a higher knowledge and appreciation and if one compares one with the other looks at the relationship of one with the other the previous one seems dissatisfactory or unsatisfactory compared or related to the next one but the significance shall we say of meditation and correct meditation doing what is here and now purposefully working and so forth that very uh, action in itself removes or helps to minimize, reduce this tremendous attraction or pull that we have to things of the world that we the involvement with particular objects and the tremendous liking for things reduces it because one senses or tastes and recognizes and knows 
that there's more happiness with oneself. Because this is where it springs from. And now, unfortunately, we can't find difficulty in getting in touch with it. And the only way for those with ordinary knowledge to get in touch with it is by going after the object. The object, and it must, must be invariably not the beautiful car in the showroom window that doesn't give one happiness. But when the object has got the my label on it, I've just got this brand spanking new back. The moment it's mine, the contact is there, there's a release of happiness. One has got in touch with this well, this deep well of happiness. But for ordinary mind and ordinary thinking and ordinary knowledge, to get it I've got to use the well. Even if just in a single moment of meditation one has experienced joy, just actually one single moment, joy and purpose, a sense of worthwhileness, a sense of the genuine authenticity of what one is doing, and there is joy there, at that very single moment, one has got in touch with that, that abundance of happiness, without the external integration. And through the actual, what we are actually dealing with, is not trying to, in the sense of trying to attain, obtain these particular levels or absorptions or, or whatever, but seeing the blockages, seeing the obstructions and working, working with them, cutting them off, unraveling, dismantling all of that. And when more and more that is more and more dismantled, the higher faculties, the higher levels of being comes in much deeper, quickly, quickly, effectively, and is not lost so quickly. cutting through is not in difficulties of the mind. Then a person may say, does it mean to say that in order to know the highest, in order to know what freedom is, to have knowledge of the highest, I have to first pass through all these varying levels of consciousness, such as we just referred to in the terms of the teaching of the Buddha, or experience these different uh, altered states of consciousness which have been referred to by saints and mystics and older and people in their experiences and so on and so forth in order to get access to the highest knowledge. The answer is no. The answer is 
ไหวแล้วทึกหลุดไหวไหวไหวแต่ติดเธอ One might say in speaking of this in terms of Buddhist Buddhist language, does one have to pass through everything in terms of a very very long 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 path in order to reach Nirvana? And the answer is no. In this regard, Gotama Siddhartha, the word Siddhartha means one who has accomplished. Gotama's own personal story, in terms of the period prior to being under the Bodhi tree, period prior to seeing and knowing the truth. For himself, is a beautiful an illustration of a man who had passed through these varying levels of experience, varying levels of absorption and altered states of consciousness. Most of you, at some time or other, have. Being in contact or read or heard about this story, it is a well-known, well-enough-known story. He lived at Kapilavatu with Yashodara, his beautiful raven-haired wife, the family, and he himself was a prince, heir to the throne, and at that particular time lived. With all that that world could possibly offer, every single one of the senses receiving the best that was available, <coughs> and he went out with Chanda, the charioteer, and he saw an aging. He saw an aging person, and he said, "Is it like this for all?" Obviously, he had must have seen in those early years of his life, though living a very protected sort of life, he must have seen old people. But it was one of those experiences where he saw an old person. Few people who are young have seen an old person. He saw an old person. Do all people come to look like this? Chana, the charioteer, said yes, sir. All. He went, came back, shaken up. He went out a second time, and on the second journey, he saw a sixth person. Is sickness common to all beings? Yes, sir. Few people have seen. A corpse. A funeral was going by, and there was a corpse. One might say in the West it is another peculiarity of the society, which people hardly, people who are twenty years old or twenty-five years old, have lived so many years and they haven't yet seen a corpse. They have not seen a dead body, human body. So many people. 
because a person dies and that's a very bad thing. Birth is beautiful, but death is horrible. And so a person who, who dies, who passes away, one person comes to recognize, to determine who it is. And the chances are that few others will get the opportunity. And the funeral takes place, it's cremated, it goes down into the grave, and that's it. There is birth, there is life, and there is death, and all are embraced together. It's healthy for the people to see death more. Nothing bad about it, just the fact that death is a fact. And he saw so, the dust saw. And came back again, shaken up, feeling unrest, feeling dissatisfied, all this for what? Aging, sickness, and death must come. On the fourth journey out, Travelling through the capital, there was a man, an ascetic, wearing the okaro. What are you doing? Why are you dressed like this? Why are you like this? Sir, I go in search of that which is beyond this birth, this aging, this sickness, and death. I search for that and that alone. So Gautama Siddhartha came back to his palace and began to think. All this madness, all this involvement, all this being trapped, having all this to do with my life and everybody trying to fashion my life in one way or other, is it all really going to be worthwhile? No. He left his wife, Yashodara, the newborn child, Rahula, got Chan of the charioteer to take him outside of the palace, outside of the city of Katalavatu. On getting outside, he put on the okra robe, shaved his head, and set off. And it's those six years, those six years, which are most significant in terms of understanding with regard to consciousness and especially altered states of consciousness. Because, in those six years, he went to two teachers. And with the two teachers, they took him through various meditations, various techniques, and he came to these highest levels of consciousness. Such high, high levels of consciousness. <coughs> And he entered into that ex those experiences, stayed for an amount of time, and gained mastery over them, and then came out and was back in this world. Such deep states of consciousness, in fact, that this whole world of sensory input was completely cut off. No body consciousness. Cut right off. All the mental uh, faculties and all the processes and everything which can take place in the mind cuts right off. Abiding in an infinite state of nothingness, 
total nothingness. And at a further and higher level with another teacher in a state where one could neither speak of perception nor of non-perception. He came in these states, remained in them, came out. And the teacher said, this is the highest nirvana. This is the highest nirvana. If one takes that time then, two and a half thousand years ago, and takes into consideration now, one will see an error has taken place in the passage of time with regard to nirvana, with regard to reality, with regard to freedom, which is one of the same thing. If you go to any meditation teacher in nearly any sort of tradition or any school of meditation they will keep telling you to work to get go into nirvana and come out. That is the heart. So ask any see nearly any single school. To go into nirvana and come out. Experience nirvana and go back into the world. It is where the emphasis and the very direction is taking place. And so whatever the experience that one goes into, whatever it is, one has to come out of and then you've still got to get back in your car, you've still got to cope with the world, you've still got to engage in this, that and the other activity. Similarly with Gautama. He had these high, high states of experience, most profound, deep experiences. Few people, few beings capable of ever But he went in and he came out. And certainly in that, and upon coming out by means of reflection, he gained a much higher knowledge, a much greater awareness, a much more refined and developed consciousness. But it was going in and coming out. And in that very coming out, there was still a sense of dissatisfaction. Sense of how is it that I go and then I come back and then I must participate? Is this what Nirvana is? Or is it something else? Is it something else? Is there something 